Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study on the disciplines of the believer's life, Pastor Murphy showed us the dangers we face if we fail in the Christian discipline of self-examination. Today we'll continue to see the dangers of not examining our own spiritual gifts and their role in Christian service. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And then I want you to also turn to Romans chapter 12. And our text is found in Romans chapter 12, which I want to deal with this evening. But in Corinthians chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says to these uh, saints, he says in verse 5, he says, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not that the Lord Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And then if you turn with me please to uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, you find that Paul says in this passage, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. He said, For I say, who the grace given unto me, to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath given to every man the measure of faith. For as ye have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on ministering, as he that teacheth on teaching, and he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another, with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, there's a third problem. That Paul talks about here. And that has to do with the whole matter of our intellectual conceit. Look what he says in verse number 3. He says, For I say through the grace of God given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And what Paul is talking about here, that you need to think soberly. And the word sober has to do with balance. You ever see a drunken man yet? He lost control of his rationality and his senses. And Paul is talking about having a clear objective, balanced view of yourself in regards to your gifts. Don't think too highly of yourself. You've got to settle this whole matter by doing an appraisal, an examination of yourself to decide what are my real gifts. This is what he's talking about. You don't want to think too low. You don't want to think too high. You want soberness, balance. You want objectivity. And to do that kind of objectivity 
it requires this matter of a sober appraisal that Paul talks about here. Uh, so that we do not engage in what I call disruptive self-elevation. See? Trying to be and do things that God has not gifted you to do. And this is what the Apostle Paul is here saying. And learning to fit into the body and function in a non-competitive way within the body uh, of Christ. Now, you'll notice that in this section where Paul is talking about the need for self-appraisal, self-examination in respect to our gifts and our talents, uh, you know that Paul uses his favorite analogy that he keeps on using again. He, he calls the church a what? A body. This is Paul's favorite analogy of the church. Uh, and the basic argument that Paul gives in Corinthians chapter 12 about the body is that the body is a synchronized mechanism. Everything is in sync. And uh, by the way, body parts don't argue with each other. At least not mine. <laughs> My brain never said, I tired being the brain. I want to be the foot. See? Never. They, they, they don't argue with each other. Neither do they envy each other. They don't do that. And by the way, nor do they dispute the relative importance of each other. See? They just function. They, they, don't, they see themselves as part of the body. My hand is a hand. My, my feet, uh, feet, my head is a head. See? And this is what Paul is saying. You can only do a, a, a properly functioning church if you understand you are a hand in the church. You're a foot in the church. You're a head in the church. You know? You're eye in the church. You're the ear in the church. But what happens when the hand thinks it should be the foot? And what happens when the foot wants to be the brain? And what happens when the tail wants to be the head? You see the problem? So we're talking about this matter of self-examination. And we've got to understand it has practical implications. Not only it has for our service. And the thing about each part of the body is that each part of the body functions, carries out its, fu- its function. It doesn't matter where it's in a prominent place or a lowly place. It just functions because what? It wants the body to operate as a whole. You know, when Paul is arguing in Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, listen, there's some parts of the body that don't get any glory. Don't get any glory. He talk about um, uncomely parts. Don't get any glory, but they're far. You ever see anybody talk about how nice the kidney look? See? No, I'm serious. You know, my kidney boy is a pretty kidney. You know? No, but listen, you can have your face ripped off and still alive, but you can't live without your kidneys. See? So, so what, what seem important may not be that important. The Apostle Paul is, is trying to get our attention and he wants us to understand that we must learn to function and we must subdue self-interest and all in the interest of the church and all in the interest of the body. He wants us to understand that. No. <clears throat> and that's how Paul wants the church to function. That's why Paul is calling upon these believers who are saved and who are surrendered. He's saying, listen, okay, here is the matter of your spiritual gifts and I want to help you to know how you're going to fit into the church. But in order to fit into the church, you will need to do an appraisal of yourself. Now, the words already says, 
think, and uh, look at verse number three. I say unto thee, the grace of God give me to every man that does among you not to think of himself more highly. You know what that word is in the Greek language? It's hooper frenion. And the word means to think proudly. To think above your standard. See? To try to be an intellectual genius when you're just a Lilliputian. See? Yeah. To try to be something that you're not. And this is what Paul is talking about. And then he said to think soberly. The word there is sophrium. It means to think soberly. It means to think uh, to be in one's right mind. I like what A.T. Robinson said about this matter uh, here. He says, conceit is treated as a species of insanity. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Well said. Conceit is treated as a species of insanity. Well said. And this is what Paul is here asking these people uh, about this service. He wants them to look at this whole matter. So what Paul is calling them to do here is to do a right appraisal of himself, right appraisal of the gifts, and he wants to help them to examine themselves in relation to the gifts to see how they can be used in the church. And I want to give you some of the principles that Paul points out to them that should guide them in understanding where they fit into the church when they're doing appraisal of themselves. The first one is found in verse number three, where Paul asked them to think soberly. He wants to think balance rationally with objectivity, with clarity. Not with a foggy mind. He wanted to really do a very, very careful, objective examination of themselves. By the way, every one of us look into the mirror on mornings and we say, boy, you look great. Truth of the matter is, (laughs) if you spend a little bit more time, you don't want to leave the house. But somehow, uh, you know, we we really take just a superficial view of ourselves. What we need... Paul is saying is a rational objective. You need sober. Number two, uh, in verse number three, he says, For I say unto you that the grace of God, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of himself according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Secondly, Paul is saying, not only do you need this balanced, rational, objective, sober view of yourself, Paul is saying, evaluate the measure of faith that God has given you in the use of your gifts. Let me explain what I'm saying. You know, when you go through the Bible, all faith is just not the same faith. You realize that? There are degrees of faith. For example, the Bible talks about faith. The Bible talks about little faith. The Bible talks about much faith. And the Bible talks about great faith. You've got to know when you use your gifts, etc., etc., what kind of faith do you have? You want to do great things for God, but you've got small faith. You'll always be a failure. So Paul is asking you to take into consideration in respect to your examination of your gifts, what kind of faith has God given you in respect to the way God has gifted you? That's the second principle. And then thirdly, look at verse number four. For as we have many members in in one body and all members have not the same office. The apostle Paul is saying, you must see the church as you see your own body. And how do you see your your own body? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself with many members competing among themselves? Or do you see yourself as one body with one members? In other words, Paul is saying to look at yourself very carefully and understand when you look at yourself, say that 
The church is like me. You know what I say? There is unity and the diversity. One body, but many members. And I want to say to you that diversity must not destroy unity. And unity must not stifle diversity. We must understand that within the church there must be unity, but there must also be diversity. This is the point that Paul is making here to these, uh, these particular person. And by the way, the only way that unity and diversity can exist at the same time is if two things happen. Number one, there's subordination to the head. And number two, there's cooperation among the parts. Does that make sense? Here you are, you've got unity in the body and you've got diversity. But how does unity and diversity work together? There must be someone coordinating. It's called the head. But not only must there be subordination to the head, there must also be cooperation among the members. This is what Paul is saying. So don't let your gift destroy unity, but don't let it also stifle your, your diversity. You are gifted in a different way. So what happens in a case where I feel that this is my gift and I should be used in the church? What happens in a case like that? How do you solve that problem? See? You got unity and you got diversity. Remember, there are only two ways to solve that problem. There has to be submission to the head and there has to be cooperation among the members. You see, you see what I'm saying? That is why when we give up the let me help papers, I want to repeat this. You can put everything you want to put in. You can want every office you want in the church. But when it comes before us as leaders, we look at those, those, um, those uh, positions that people want to fill. And we try to ask ourselves some serious questions. Is this person suited or gifted for this position? Now what happens when you think you're gifted and the leaders think that you're not gifted for that position? What do you do then? Create division? Create division, that's what you do? No, you respect the leadership of the church. And I want to say this, not because I'm a pastor. The Bible says, obey them that have the rule over you. Your job is not to challenge the pastor. I repeat, your job is not to challenge the pastor. Your job is not to embarrass the pastor in public. That's not your job. Your job is to work with the pastor and submit to the pastor. And when you disagree with the pastor... You go in the room with him and tell him, listen, we, I don't agree with this. See? That's the way you deal with problems. I have been very gentle in this church. There are times when I nearly need to say something very harsh. And I have I've kind of desisted from it because I expected the church is mature enough to tell people when they're talking nonsense, this is nonsense. This is not proper. Without I having to tell you that's not the, not the proper thing. By now you're in this church long enough to know when something is proper and not improper. See? You need to mature as a church in those things. And you need to be informed, not because you like some person or you don't like somebody. You need to be informed by what the Bible teaches you. And, and let that guide your understanding of how things are supposed to operate. So Paul is saying to them, Look, see the church that you see your body, where there's unity and there's diversity. And Paul is, is pointed out very clearly that this diversity must not destroy unity, nor must this unity stifle diversity. The two must learn to work together. But to work together, you need two things. You need submission to the head, and you need cooperation among the members. By the way, if you had that in a church, 
a real church, you have a functioning church. See? Those are the principles that Paul brings out. Now, number four, there's a fourth principle. Look at verse uh, 4b. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the what? The same office. What Paul is here saying, the office of the church are gift specific. We all don't have the same. And the word office there, by the way, is an interesting word. The word in the Greek is the word praxis. And the word means function. We all don't have the same function. We need to understand that when it comes to our gifts. The Apostle Paul is just trying to help them. He's saying, listen, you need to do a real, think about yourself. Don't think too highly. Do a sober thinking about the matter. But here are some principles that you should take into consideration when you do this examination. When you do so, praise all of yourself. These are the things that you take into consideration in respect to your gifts. This is what Paul is here. And then, verse number five. He says, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of another. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing again that there should be a mutuality and a concern for each other within the body when it comes to our gifts. So if I am doing something in the church and it's offending somebody else. The, the, let's say this, the vast majority think that I am not the person for the job. I'm not gifted in that area. What do I do? Do I still continue to irritate people? Or do I have the humility to say, you know, in the interest of the mutual interest among ourselves, all right, I'm, I'm prepared to yield in this position. That's the th- way you do things. And when people, when you function that way, we function that way, we have unity, we have diversity, and you know what? We have something called mutual interest for the well-being of the total ministry and the total church. Principle number six. Look at verse six. Paul says, For having then gifts differing according to grace. Again, Paul says that understand that Christians have different gifts. By the way, if you do a composite dossier, uh, if you take um, uh, Romans 12, you take Ephesians chapter 4, you take Corinthians chapter 12, and you bring all of those passages together, and you do a, a, a profile of gifts in the Bible, you'll find that Paul mentions at least 19 different gifts. See? Now, I don't think that is the, an exhaustive list, because depending on the particular location, depending on the particular need of that church, gifts are given, different gifts are given. And the Apostle Paul is trying to get that across. That you don't have the same gift. So you don't have to envy somebody who has a gift. Because that may not be the gift that you have. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Don't try to do something that you're not capable of doing. Just accept who you are. And move on in life. See, The Apostle wants them to. And then notice verse number 6b. is another principle. He says, having then gifts that are according to what? The grace. Paul is saying not only are Christians given different gifts, but Paul is saying whatever gift you have, you had nothing to do with it. I repeat, you had nothing to do with the spiritual gift that you have. Paul asked another question in another epistle. He asked the believers, what do you have that you have not received? So why are you so stuck up and so proud and so stocky? 
and so grouchy and you feel that you are somebody that is so elevated above others. What do you have that you did not receive? No, Paul says, you've got different gifts, but every gift is according to what? Grace. It's a grace gift. You had absolutely nothing to do with it. The truth of the matter is that when you are given a certain gift, it's just that God has favored you. See? Just favored you. Accepted that. So there's no need for pride. There's no need for boasting. There's no need for braggadocio. There's no need for rivalry. There's no need for this competitive spirit. But you see, you will only be that way if you realize where the gift comes from. It has nothing absolutely to do with you. It's a grace gift. And then in verses 6 and following, the Apostle Paul then, in the next thing, begins to lay down the spirit in which these gifts must be exercised. And I, I want to uh, say a few words about that, and then we'll be off. Look at verse number 6 and following. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on ministry. Verse 8, or he that exhortation, exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Uh, be kindly affection one to another. If you go down that, you'll find that Paul is saying, all right, all right, all right. Now I've given you these broad principles to help you to decide about this matter of gift. Now I want to tell you, all right, now you know what you've been able to find out what your gift is. Paul is saying, now let me tell you the spirit in which this gift must be exercised in the church. And Paul mentions eight things. I'll just mention it very quickly. Paul said, number one, in verse six, uh, he says that do and use your gift according to what? The faith that is given to you. We talked about that for just a moment, uh, a while ago. The element of faith comes into the use of your gifts. See? And by the way, don't let people push you into positions uh, that you know that you don't have the, the amount of faith to deal with it. Don't let them do that. you get frustrated. Be man and woman enough to say, listen, I appreciate you making this offer to me to get me engaged in this, but you know what? I don't believe that God has given me the faith to do this particular thing. Be a man, be a woman, be be very honest. Know your limitations. Number two, Paul says, do it with simplicity. The word there, simplicity, means, the word is uh, hiplotetes. You know what that means? It means sincerity. Whatever you do when you use of your gift, make sure that it is done out of sincerity. Not for showmanship, not for accolades, not for people to pat you on the back, not somebody to call your name on the, on, the, on, the, on the podium, not for somebody to give you a certificate, see, and not to get a picture somewhere in the church album, you know. Uh, out of sincerity, real sincerity, Paul is saying. That's how you use your gifts. See? And then Paul talks about, in, in verse number 8, he uses the word, do it with diligence. The word diligence um, is an interesting word. The word there is spude, S-P-O-U-D-A. You know what that word means? It means to do whatever you do, do, do it to your best ability. That's what it means. Diligence, see. Put your best effort into it, see. 
If God has given you that gift, put your best effort into use of that gift. Not only sincerely know, you're not looking around to see who is watching. You're doing it sincerely unto the Lord. But in addition to that, you're putting your best effort into it. And then uh, Paul talks about do it with cheerfulness in verse number 8. And that word cheerfulness is the word, you ever heard the word hilarious? <laughs> the Greek word is the word hilarotes. And what it really means, do it with a readiness of mind. If God has given you the gift, do it with, don't, don't make, don't, you know, you ever, you know, you got to keep pushing people. We call them wheelbarrow for Christians. Yeah. They, they, they just don't seem in any way that they've got any kind of drive whatsoever. They don't seem to be ready to, so you got to keep pushing them all the time. Wheelbarrowing them all the time. The Christians like that. Paul is saying, take your gift, man, and do your gift. Do it with cheerfulness. Have a hilarious mind, a readiness of mind, eagerness. I can't wait to, for God to use this gift. Not that somebody got to push you all the time, please, and beg you all the time. That's not the way Paul is saying. That's not the spirit in which these gifts are to be used. And then in verse number nine, Paul goes on to talk about when you're exercising your gift, that, that important word to make sure that you do it in love. That's why he talks about love among the brethren. And of course, uh, the word there is agape, and we all know what agape is. Agape is love that puts the other's interests ahead of yours. Simple formula for love. If you want to know what real love is, that, that's a simple way to know. Does that person put my interest above theirs? That's how you find out if it's real love. See, if, 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 if that's not the case, you have love, no question about it, but it may be eros. It may be phileo. See? It may be Philadelphia, but it's not agape. Is when somebody puts your interest above theirs. That is what is real worth talk. And Paul is talking about that. See, so you see the you see the need for that. By the way, with all these diversity of all these different type of gifts, there's sometimes there's just people got two people got the same gift. This this, this competition will develop. But you know what? The mature Christian said, "You know what? I I prefer you to do it." See, uh, you remember what he says in in uh, the book of Philippians? In honor of what? Preferring one another. Let each other think the other person what better than themselves. See? Putting the other person before themselves. Boy, there are people who love the limelight. They don't want to be chandeliers. They don't want to be little walk lights at all. They want to be big chandeliers. Everybody can see them. See? And Paul is talking about this whole matter. And then, in verse number 6, Paul talks about the, the matter of uh, be kindly affection one to another. The, the Greek word there is another word for love. The word is storge. But you know what that word storge means? It's a different type of love. It means love that has feelings to it. By the way, it's interesting that when Paul, in another epistle, told the elderly women in the church, the, the elderly women need to teach the young women how to love their husbands. You know that, that Paul teaches that. The elderly women should teach the, the younger women how to love their husbands. You know the word he doesn't use? That's not the word agape? That's not the word he used there? The, the word love there has to, the word, it has to do with the matter. Show them how, teach them how to show affection. Two different things all together. And you, you women who've been married for many, many years ought to be able to sit down a young girl who just got saved and say, look, I want to, I want to, I want to show you how you show affection to your husband. You know why? Because you've learned the fine art of showing affection. That's what your job is. And the word that is used there is, is to love with feeling. It has to do with the emotional type of love. 
That is what is needed when it, for you ladies to teach the other young women. So tell them some little things that you do to Megan, you must tell them a little bit of thing, how you get to tickle Robert and how you get him excited and all that kind of thing and how he make, you know, how you feel good. Things that you learn, you pass that on to the, to the, the younger people, that's what you do. You remember when somebody gets married, if they have been faithful to God and, and they, don't, they don't have any idea of what really to do, that is if they have not been in the world, they're not going into a relationship, they don't have a clue, how do I show affection? And that is where the elderly ladies, when you realize a girl is going to get married, your job is to get beside her and say, listen, come here, let me just tell you a few things. See? This is how to make this man feel madly in love with you. These are some things that I learned along the way. Teach them, give them some wisdom. They don't have it. See? The word here is the matter of uh, um, having affection. And then in verse number 10b, Paul says, Be kindly affection one another with body love in honor what? Preferring one another. See? And the word honor there means, the, word is, the Greek word is the word teme, T-I-M-E. Pronounced teme. It, it, means, it means to show respect. See? Show respect. See? This is what Paul is here saying to these others. Put the other person first and show them honor. And that word means respect. And then the other word that Paul uses, which I think is a a very interesting word in verse um, number 11. He said, whatever you do, uh, not slothful in business, but what? Fervent in spirit. The word slothful, by the way, is the word, the the Greek word is the word uh, okneros. And it means to be slow. It means to be hesitating. It means to be delaying. You know, it's like people, like molasses going up a hill. You ask them to do something, brother, but you could have done it ten times before they actually do it. Because, you know, they take so much time to get what, the word slothful means that slow. Paul said, don't be slow. In the Christian work, we need Energy. We need zeal. We need enthusiasm. We need life. See, The Pentecostals got it, you know. That's why they're so attractive. People love to see people with, with energy. Although it might be expressed in the wrong way. But then you come into the church and everything is slow. It takes... A year, what can be done in one day? And uh, when people begin to see that, the, 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 the enthusiasm is not there. Paul is saying to them, don't be slothful. And by the way, the word uh, business is the same word that is used in verse number 8. You see verse number 8? Or he that exhorteth an exhortation, he that giveth, uh, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with, you see the word diligence? That's the same word. So when the Bible says here, be not slothful in business, it's not, you know, people think, you know, Paul is talking about managing the business. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul told them to be diligent in what they're doing. But then Paul said, don't be slothful in your diligence. That's what the word means. So it has not to do that you are, you know, you got to work and you, you employ people. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. I remember that that diligence means what? The word diligence is used in verse number eight. It means what? Spude means what? Doing your best. 
So even when you're trying to do your best, make sure that you don't slough is not part of that. There's a contradiction of terms. And then he uses the word, do it fervently. And the word in the Greek language is zeo. Z-E-O. And it means to be boiling. It means to be hot. And the idea is, is to be active, to be jealous, to be eager, to be effervescent, to be passionate about what you're doing. Now you see why it's not a very simple matter for us in respect to our gifts. We need to do an appraisal of ourselves to see where we fit into the church. Now I don't know if you've ever done that, but you need to do that. Every single Christian in this church, if you have been saved and you are into God's family, I can assure you that there's a gift that God has given to you, and that gift is to be used in the local church. You've got to find out what that gift is. Do an appraisal of yourself to find out what it is. And then when you discover what that is, the way to use that gift in the church, Paul gives you the spirit in which it's to be done with faith, with simplicity, with diligence, with cheerfulness, with love, with affection, uh, with putting honor to the other person. Do it with fervency. See? We're going to stop here. But just think for just a moment. Just think for just a moment. What if what Paul said here was true of this ministry? For just a moment. Just think about that. What that would mean to the transformation of this ministry. See? So all I'm saying to you as a believer. Let's take this matter very seriously. Let's take this injunction that Paul has given to us about self-examination. Yeah, I, I, I know, you know, make sure you don't deceive yourself that you're saved. Make sure that there's no secret sin in your life that, you, you know, that you've forgotten for so long and it's hindered God's blessing. But may I suggest to you as well that you also need to do it in relation to where does your gift fit into the ministry? And then once you discover it, then these are the principles by which that, that gift becomes operative among the church. Now, I have destroyed many radios and many clocks. I really have. I like to think I can fix things. But sometimes, by the time I'm finished with them, they're worse than when I started with them. And part of the reason for that is that sometimes when you try to fix your watch or something, there's a little cog that you can't even hold it with your fingers. You don't even have tweezers to hold it with. But you know what? That one little cog has got the entire watch not functioning. Just that one thing missing, you know. Just that one. Now think about that for the church. Each one of us is like a little cog. But it takes all the cogs to work together to give the proper timing as far as God's work is concerned. And then one little cog is out of place. And all the others can't function because this is missing. Are you the missing cog tonight? I heard the statement made that there are people who, something to the effect, there are people who like to uh, tell you, you know, we should do this, we should do the next, and blah, 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 blah. But you, you know what the shocking thing is about? Those same people do absolutely nothing. You ever realize that? They're the biggest stalkers in the church 
but it less workers. See, let that not be said of you. And I would encourage you as a believer to take some time. Let's take some time. Let's let's get away with this shallow, superficial way that we live. Let's make this. Is it really important to you to have a health check every year? To have your vehicle checked every three months? To look down at your bank account to make sure your deposits and your withdrawals match? To make sure that you don't have breast cancer? And there are many other things that you may do. Those are important. But is this important to you? I hope that you see the, the reason why these are not topics that we generally speak on. But they're topics that we need to dust off and make them part of our own thinking and part of our own lives. We look at one last one uh, in the next sermon. Uh, we will talk about your capacity to help people. How it's so dependent on you doing a self-examination of yourself. We'll come to that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of those who sat and listened. Trust that what has been said tonight has not only been informative, but provocative and helpful and very practical so that your people will have a handle on this matter. It's one thing to speak on these subjects, another thing to give practical details of what we need to do. But we thank you for the Apostle Paul that though he has just broached his subject in verse 3, he doesn't leave the subject there. He goes on to lay down the principles to help us to know how we can use those gifts and identify those gifts and use them in the service and then the spirit in which these things must be done. Lord, this church is not a perfect church, but this is your church. And we were placed here to be a lighthouse in this community. What is required of each one of us is to put ourselves at the disposal of God to be used in this ministry. Every single member actively involved in this ministry. Father, give our people a burden for service and a burden for ministry. A desire to be part of the team so that this ministry may advance, not for our glory, but for your glory. And help us to always remember that that which has life will always grow. Because growth is one of the great characteristics of life. So help us as a people to ask ourselves not what we need to do to grow. But what we are doing that is stopping the growth. That's the big issue. Guide us, O Lord, throughout our unraveling of these different subjects and help us, Lord, to really do a deep, deep searching of ourselves. Oh, how we so shallow, so shallow, so superficial. How we are so much unlike what you would want us to be. May you help us to change. And may that change begin tonight with a careful examination of ourselves in respect to where we fit into your church and how our gifts can be used for your glory. Have your way in each believer's life here and give us a passion for you, a passion for your work, a passion for service. Remind us the days are fast passing. The time is short. And we need to get busy for the Lord and do the Lord's work. 
Help us not to be slothful in diligence in doing our best for you to be fervent in spirit. It may very well be that there's so much that is clogging our lives that the power cannot be used in our lives as it should because it's blocked. Help us to unclog those pathways, those conduits of your power by doing an examination of ourselves. We'll thank you for whatever happens in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Unfortunately, we don't have the recording of the final sermon on the Christian discipline of self-examination. Join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the final Christian discipline of prayer. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.